It's September 18th, 2010, and you're listening to the Architecture Happy Hour. I'm Laura. And I'm Larry. And it's a two-drink minimum, so grab your glass and let's get started. Welcome back, everybody. Fall is almost here. Yay. Football. Yay. Oh, it's, it's, a much, <laughs> it's a much happier place at my house now that college football is back on. We were going to do today's podcast about selecting a new roof. Yeah. 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 <laughs> that was kind of that, our reaction that to That sounds exciting, everyone. Uh-huh. Well, it's, it kind of seemed appropriate since we had tornadoes. I mean, Tornadoes Major tornadoes in Dallas. Yeah. Well, really, only about two miles from, from our the office. office. Yeah, yeah, which is a little scary. Fun watching it on the news, going, "Don't hit the office! Don't hit the office! Oh God!" Yeah, debris, debris. No, it was everybody was fine. I don't think anybody was hurt here. Fortunately, it was after rush hour. Yeah, after rush hour, of, and it sort of went through an industrial area. Yeah, and then so it then fizzled out before it got to the to the neighborhoods, to the high rent areas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they have a force field around their neighborhood. But the more we thought about it, the more it sounded like... It well, sounded like a snooze fest. Yes. Yeah. If it didn't interest us, we weren't going to put you through it either. <laughs> so... In the hopes of staying topical, though, we, we looked around and we thought, well, what's happening here locally? And, and maybe there's something else we could talk about. And this weekend is Gay Pride in Dallas. Most places have it in June. We have it in, in September. It's it's too hot in June for yeah, a, a parade smart. or anything. So we have it in September. And there's all sorts of stuff going on this weekend. There's Gay Day at Six Flags, and there's a parade, of course, tomorrow, which is like 92 groups. I don't know if they're all floats. That's but amazing. Amazing, like 35,000 spectators. I mean, oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah, and then the big festival in the park at the end of the parade. So got to thinking about it, and we thought, well, why don't we start, you know, maybe do this podcast on gays and lesbians in architecture? And so that's what today's podcast is going to be about, is gays and lesbians in architecture. And hopefully, if you're gay and lesbian and listening to this, we're going to probably ask more questions than we're going to give answers to, but uh, hopefully there'll be some information in there for you, and, and you'll enjoy it, maybe. And and if you know something that we don't or you have comments, we'd love to hear them. Yeah, please please email us if you're you're in a group and, and you know, have information, please send it. And you'll have to forgive... I guess both Laura and I today were a little hoarse. I'm <laughs> still recovering from vacation, believe it or not. I got kennel cough in, in New Orleans. And Tight so, quarters, you know. Yeah, yeah, all that smoke. <laughs> so I'm still, I'm still getting over that, and I think Laura's got some allergy issues going on. So. Yeah, it's just that time of year. Yeah. I don't know. We're, we're both probably going to sound like we need to switch to menthol cigarettes <laughs> because, hello, darling, it's fantastic. <laughs> so, But, you know, bear with us. Bear with us and... and I'll be sipping water throughout, and hopefully my voice won't dry out by the time we're done. We'll see. We'll see. But just in time for you to head off to some of the gay pride events, right? Yes, yes, just in time. Yeah, perfect, Uh good. So you won't be speaking at all on Monday? Probably not. I probably won't have a voice (laughs) at all on Monday. And that'd be a fun podcast. Right. (laughs) Anyway. Okay, well, Larry, I'm going to let you start with pride history. Well, okay. Well, yes, since I am the gay one. So I'll start. I'll let you. You'll I'm not going to pretend to speak about something. Uh, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, I, I wanted to do a little bit of quick history for the listeners who may not know. I think everyone thinks gay pride, and they think the parade and guys in buttless chaps. 
Because that's always what seems to end up on the news. Yeah, is, is that, this parade a family event? Oh God, yeah. I mean, it's it's there are kids. I mean, the the local community where the uh, parade is. I mean, you'll have you know Hispanic families lined up down the block watching the parade, and it's a lot of fun. And yeah, but but I think people say gay pride, and that's the first image they get because that's what you see on the news. Or you yeah, know. I think Mardi Gras, and not the family Mardi Gras, but maybe that's not. Yeah. What did it used to be like that? Well, no. Is that I mean, just kind of a perception? I think that's a perception. And I think there are, you know, there are groups that march in various city parades that are going to be, you know, a little more out there than than most people. But um, but it's that, mostly about celebrating and it's about celebrating, and yeah, and having so, fun, yeah. Lots so of it's costumes it's, and yeah, right, yeah. And so I mean, it's it's a fun parade. But anyway, so enough, enough about buttless chaps. <laughs> Yes, thank yes. you for that. Anyway, but for, for a little bit of history, the Gay Pride really celebrates the, I guess it was the onset of, of the gay and lesbian movement as far as, you know, liberation, for lack of a better word. In, mm-hmm. in June of 1969, the New York police raided the Stonewall Inn in Chelsea, and it was very common for police to raid bars in the 60s and harass patrons and arrest patrons for no, nothing else, no, no other crime than just being together. Mm-hmm. And so they would, you know, conduct these raids. Well, for some reason that night they conducted the raid and, you know, they dumped like 200 patrons out onto the street and then were seizing liquor because they were supposedly operating without a liquor license. So they were seizing liquor and the 200 became 400 and suddenly as the paddy wagon was being you know, driven away with people in it, mm-hmm. they started throwing rocks and bottles and you know cans and somebody um, uprooted a parking meter, and they were using it as a battering ram. Oh, good grief! But the police, uh, some of the police, barricaded themselves in the bar to protect themselves because you know they this had never happened. The bar patrons had never you know even even the people from the neighborhood were involved, and well, that sort of thing never happened. So. Every year in June, most cities, you know, most of the um, gay and lesbian groups in most of the cities will celebrate Gay Pride. And usually, like, New York does a week-long event, and it's, you know, Gay Pride in Manhattan and in Queens and in, you know, different, the different boroughs and stuff. Mm-hmm. But for Dallas, we just do it this one weekend, like I said, because, you know, it's September, and it's typically a little cooler in June, so it's not quite so. Yeah, although I checked my <laughs> thermostat coming in, yeah. it said 94. I yeah, said it's well, not you know, cool. it'll be warm, but it's, so you know, good luck. won't be 105 <laughs> June weather or well, something. No, so, true. you know, yeah. it'll still be fun. Anyway, so, so I wanted to tell everyone about that just so you have some idea of a um, um, little bit of history and uh, maybe see, I, I don't know, talk about where I'm coming from. Yeah, no, I, I think I, that's I'm, interesting because I didn't know that history and um, usually, with some you know movement like that, there is some sort of there's a defining moment. Or, yeah, exactly. There's some breaking point where something has to change, and and that was there's it. enough unity, yeah, for them to make a statement. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and, and there had been um, uh, the Madashin Society, which was founded, I think, in the 50s, mm-hmm. and that was the only, um, I guess, really gay rights group, for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. but they were very buttoned down and everyone's very conservative and we, you know, we'll, we'll protest, but we're going to be in dresses and suits and, you know, do it peacefully. Mm-hmm. And this became the part that wasn't peaceful. Oh. So I thought, well, okay, let's, let's do gays in architecture because like I said, I know I'm not the only one. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I at least know there's two of us, at least here in <laughs> Dallas. So I thought, well, that could be, you know, be kind of interesting. And, and I started doing research on it and discovered that there wasn't a lot of information online, which I thought was really odd. Yeah, I did too. Yeah, it was that weird... You, you can Google anything nowadays, mm-hmm. and stuff just seems to pop up. And I Googled gays in architecture, and I found one pretty good article on glbtq.com, mm-hmm. and that was interesting. And then I got to thinking about it, and I thought, okay, well, how many gay architects, how many famous gay architects do you know, or, or well-known gay architects do you know? And, of course, everyone says... Yeah, Philip Johnson. Philip Johnson, and that's it. Yeah. But, you know, going through the article in uh, GLBTQ, there's quite a few. And that are nationally yeah. recognized? Well, I, I, I'm not sure nationally recognized, but... Um, well, significant enough. Significant enough, enough yeah. to, to pop up, and um, there's a whole list of, of gay architects. And you should really, if you're interested, go, go and read the article. It's, I think, under their arts section. Do you have a website address? It's just GLBTQ.com. Okay. Yeah. So go there and read through that, and... I, you know, found a couple of organizations listed in the article, and one was called uh, Be Glad, which is the Boston Gay and Lesbian Architects and Designers. Mm-hmm. There's one called OGAD, which is in New York, the Organization of Lesbian and Gay Architects and Designers, and neither one's around anymore. They just disappeared. So luckily I found, um, through the AIA in New York, they gave me a contact who gave me a contact, and so I talked with him. He was a member of OGAD. He said they just, over time, there wasn't a, a need for the group, I guess. Less and less interest. Less and less interest. And, you know, it's a vol- yeah. volunteer group, basically. Right, right. There are enough gays and lesbians actively in the architecture field in New York that I guess it wasn't really a necessity. That they were getting what they needed from From their AIA own. AIA or, AIA or from their yeah. own, you know, just. Just the main industry yeah, groups. Yeah, main industry yeah. groups. And so the, you know, organization just sort of petered out. Hmm. So that's kind of interesting. interesting. Yeah. Did they? Did he say when it had been started? Uh, he thinks late '80s, early '90s. Okay. Uh, you know, brought together architects, interior designers, and it also brought together uh, people who were interested in historic preservation. Hmm. And uh, maybe that's somewhere to look for, you know, other gay and lesbian architects because maybe that's more of a a field for. For us, I don't, I don't know. I don't it's know. it's it's been interesting. You know, there's no no group in Dallas. I'm not finding any groups in any of the other cities. Even the Boston uh, Society of Architects, they don't have anything in their archives on the group. Mm-hmm. Well, what I thought was interesting is is we the our company is a member of the GLBT Chamber, the Texas Chamber here, right. or is it North Texas? It's North Texas Chamber, right? Gay and Lesbian Chamber, right? Right. But we are. The only architect, one of a very few. We maybe? are we are the only architect. We which are. I just think is amazing. The only only there's no interior designers either, which is kind of is a stereotypical assumption that of course the interior designers are going to be in the gay and lesbian right. chamber. But we are the only architect. That Arch- just blows me away. Yeah. And you checked other chambers I, yeah, too, I, I got right? to looking around, and the other two chambers in Texas, there's one in Austin, the one in San Antonio, no architects. I even checked the. Um, it's the Golden Gate Business Association, which was started in 1974, I think. Okay. And that's in San Francisco, and that's their gay and lesbian chamber in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. There were only four architects in that chamber, which really surprised me. I thought, that's you know, but but again, you know, San Francisco is a much more gay-friendly city. 
So maybe architects and interior designers don't feel they need to have any kind of an organization that represents right. them. Well, that's true. Yeah. So, so that may be the case. Yeah, it was it was just really really interesting getting into into doing some of the research, which of course makes it difficult to write a podcast because <laughs> you know we we typically do these with a topic and we have five or six points and we talk about those points and so I, I sat down to write this and thought well. I don't have anything to write about. <laughs> yeah, there's there's not a whole lot to grab onto. Yeah. But it what we started discussing once this kind of made itself apparent, the fact that these groups weren't around or weren't growing in strength as you might expect. Right. Especially in this economy, you yeah. think you think anybody with a common interest is gonna come together and try to grow their businesses together right. or at least try to stay in business. Except that we know from our networking stuff that we do and from the architecture happy hour that, that we don't. I mean, right. architects, architects generally don't seem to. I mean, we're the only ones we ever see at network, networking events. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, you'd think that, you know, any group that might be able to bring people together and, and talk about, you know, whatever's specific to them, you know, it's, you know, being gay in the workplace or, you know, maybe issues people are having or, or whatever. But, but yeah, there's no, there's no group in Dallas, but I'm, I mean, like I said, I was surprised I, there wasn't one in San Francisco you know, the one in New York and Boston are gone. Mm-hmm. It just seemed really, really strange. Unless there's some underground ones out there that are not having a presence on the Internet that we don't right. know about. Right, <laughs> right. But, but that begs the question, then, well, why would there be an underground group? Because, yeah. you know, in this day and age, in this day and age, <laughs> um, that, that would seem very odd. You know, it's like, we all have to go hide under the, yeah. you know, hide, hide back in the closet and have a secret, secret little group. Well, it's not the 50s, it's, you know, 2010. And well, and hard to maintain too if you're not right. If you're making not, it aware, yeah, making people aware, right, right. So, yeah. so yeah, it was interesting. But yeah, as as we started getting into this, we were, uh, you know, a couple other questions actually came up, and and one of the questions was when Philip Johnson came out in 1996, I think it was, yeah, 1996, it became I guess the figurehead for you know, <laughs> gays and architecture. There's Philip Johnson, you know, who, who knew? Except everyone probably knew. When, you know, he came out, somebody said, well, do we need to start looking at how being gay maybe impacts design and impacts the way we create architecture? Mm-hmm. What little bit I was reading was that, you know, it's sort of suspect. You know, they're, they're saying that that connection is maybe a little bit suspect because... You're looking at architecture, and, and are there elements in someone's architecture that repeat themselves that maybe is part of an extension of their own sexuality, their own gayness, or you know, being a yeah. lesbian? Well, any architect designs based on their own experience and right. where they've lived and their family members and you know how they grew up and all of that. So everybody's is kind of, there could be something. Something in there. You're repeating, yeah. Right. Some right. element that you know, is their signature, right. maybe. Right. Yeah, but you're not, but, you know, does it really impact right. how you do design? And, and what we came down to was that for architects, it's really about programming. Mm-hmm. And that we're not going to, just because I'm gay, I'm not necessarily going to look at a project differently. You know, and, and it brought up that, that idea that, well, do I design for a gay couple differently than I would design for a straight couple? Because from my experience and, and, Knowing their potentially dual income, they're probably professional. Mm-hmm. They're probably not going to have kids. You know, they may have a 
bigger budget simply because they've got the additional cash to do what they want to do. They're right. more interested in, in maybe a little less interested in the return on their investment uh, so much as making the home the home that they want. Right. They may have a different goal in mind. Right. But then, but then again, the question always came back though to programming. You, you design and you program for the client, regardless of who they are. Right. I mean, you would design and program differently even if you were looking, I mean, even if you had multiple gay couples as clients, each it's couple would be approached differently. Each one's going to be different because yeah. their needs are different and yeah. what their ultimate goal is for each one is going to be different. Yeah, because they're all coming with their own interests and hobbies and how they entertain and, you know, whatever, their different religious beliefs and how they celebrate holidays and all mm -hmm. of that kind of plays into how you create the space for them. Yeah. Well, and Holly had a, a great story yesterday because, you know, you, you're talking about, you know, okay, does being gay influence the way you design? Well, then we got into programming and perception and your, your own experience impacting how you do design. And she told a great story when she was in graduate school. The Her first course, the first day the, the professor was doing these little sort of design charrettes, every day they would do a different style. Like, yeah, they know. were quick turnaround design projects <clears throat> where they had to go home that night, design, and bring back and present the next day. Right. Yeah. And so it was, you know, the first one I think was traditional, and then the next one was going to be Art Deco, and then, you know, just taking them through all the different, you know, design styles. And the first one being traditional, they all came back with, you know, their own idea of what a traditional home would be mm -hmm. and there was Georgian and you know colonial and yeah. French I mean all that stuff and then this poor girl who was in the graduate program from Thailand I think I think so yeah Holly you know she her traditional for her was actually a hut with a thatched roof right. that's traditional for her culture the professor saw it and just lost it tore into the poor girl and she never came back to class yeah, just he thought she had completely disregarded the entire assignment yeah. when really that was traditional for yeah, her. Very traditional for her. And I yeah. can't imagine what Art Deco would, you know, how she would interpret Art Deco. Well, and like I, for example, I grew up in uh, California. So traditional <clears throat> out there is Spanish. You know, it's it's the Mexican influence coming up, you know, up the coast with all of the Spanish missions and, mm -hmm. you know, that influence versus my husband who grew up on the East Coast. Out there, it's, it's you know, Williamsburg. It's colonial. It's English. It's it's totally different. Yeah. You know, they didn't have clay roofs, yeah. you know, clay roof tile out there. They had, you know, it was totally different. Yeah. So so I guess yeah. it, com it comes down to, I mean, your experience, personal experience is going to impact what you do. But at the end of the day, whether you're gay, lesbian, straight, you know, by transgendered, whatever, <laughs> um, you're going to end up programming for the client. So theoretically, theoretically, if, you're, if you're a good architect, for, that's right. the goal. Right, yeah. that's the goal. You know, yeah. you you design to the client, you respond to what their needs are. Also, in in doing some of this research, there was a great, um, not great, but there's a little discussion online. Someone had posted a question on some website: Is architecture a gay profession? <laughs> like. Well, I, wow, I, I wonder I'm, where that came from. I'm interested, and this was 2005 when, when this was posted, 2005 or 2006. And I thought, wow, okay. <laughs> I hadn't really thought, is architecture a gay profession? Especially 
when you look at architecture, it's very male-dominated. It's very white. It's very straight. Mm -hmm. This kid was asking this question, and I thought, really? Is that a good thing or a bad thing that he's asking? I, oh, you know, I don't know. I mean, is it is he, you know, is he gay and, and needs to feel secure in the profession? But Okay, it's a gay profession. I can, I can do it. I'm not going to get harassed. I'm not going to get picked on. I'm not going to be, you know, demoted or... Um, not right. not promoted because of my orientation. I hadn't really, th but you know, architecture really, you know, like any profession, there's not a gay profession. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. Kind of interesting. So, well, and on the flip side, I was talking to um, another architect just this week who um, who blogs, and he had a he had a student email him from one of the posts he had posted on his blog, and the student asked. Um, about what it took to become an architect because he was doing it because he thought that the title architect sounded cool and he was doing it to get the ladies. <laughs> we just died laughing. Really? Yeah. Yes. Yes, this is true. Architecture, male-dominated. Yes. Straight male-dominated. I was like, okay, profession. well, we're just going to blame that on Hollywood because <clears throat> Hollywood is notorious for glamorizing architects. Yeah, yeah. the architects in movies have the best houses, and yeah. it's just not true. And they just walk around with rolls of drawings all day long. Sure. Yeah, and basswood models. Yes. 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 <laughs> that's what we do. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, well, so it's, yeah. Yeah. He just thought, I don't, yeah, I don't know what he was thinking. That's too funny. Well, and and one of the other firms here in town, who shall remain nameless, I know that during a project that we were working with them on, uh, this is a number of years ago, they um, took the client who'd flown in from Los Angeles out to dinner. It was um, not the client, but another architect, and his crew, his like like three or four people, and the two. Um, principal architects for this other firm proceeded to get absolutely tanked at dinner and nice. were, professional. were hitting on the waitress and showing how macho and manly mm. they were. I'm like, really? Are you really worried that these guys from L.A. are going to think you're a little light in your loafers just because you're an architect? They're architects. They don't, you know, buy into that. But it brought up that question is, is that still the attitude in architecture that, you know, you know, it's not okay to be gay in architecture. It wasn't a problem for me. You know, it's never been a problem for me. Right. Uh, every firm I've been at, there's no question, and I haven't hidden it. And they all know my partner. And but maybe you know, for some of these older guys, there's still they have that perception and that I don't want to say fear, but yeah, I'm sure. You know, they're gonna gonna want everyone to know that they're the you know, big manly men. And <laughs> I I don't know. It just seems strange, especially you know nowadays when you know. Being gay is becoming more and more mainstream, I guess, for lack of a, a better phrase. Yeah, maybe you know, so. It, it's not really a... You know, well, except I, I read this morning an article. The um, state GOP in Montana still has in their platform that they think that homosexual acts should be made illegal. Wow, really? Yeah, it was, it was put in their platform years and years ago, and nobody ever took it out. And no one's bothered to take it out. And most of the people in the GOP party in Montana could care less. But wow. no one's making the effort to take it out. It's like, wow. Well, yeah, like any belief system, it's going to take generations to change. Right, right. More. And then I think the younger generations are starting to, well, you know, they're not starting out being totally biased. So. Right. Well, and, and so that may hold true for architecture as the 
as the people who are our age are moving up into you know positions of yeah leadership positions. leadership positions mm-hmm. you know they're not bringing that baggage with them right exactly and so well that's what we we're talking about at a and M on university campuses mm-hmm. that it took a while for the gay and lesbian student organization to yeah. become recognized. And so, what did we say, like in the middle 90s? Mid 90s, yeah. Yeah, I think. that that kind of became a recognized organization. And yeah. so, in the middle 90s, if those kids were, say, in their 20s, then, you know, we're looking at like 35, 40 range of right. their age. So, those people who were brought up into their, you know, young professional years being able to, to you know, claim that they were gay or lesbian coming up and being okay with that. They're not at the point yet of owning businesses, uh, no, right? They're, they're just starting, probably starting to move up into you know higher level positions, right? And, and exactly. So as that generation comes up, I think maybe that that will change a little bit. But like I said, I've, I never felt you know ostracized or out of place at any of the firms. Well, that's and, good. Which is good. Yeah, it's very good. And I, I don't know if that would be true with every firm. In yeah, Dallas. and I would say in, in Dallas, is, even though it's a southern city, it's a big city, no. so I would We're still hope that it's... A little conservative here. Oh, definitely. But, you know, um, but I think a little more progressive, too. Yeah, I think, yeah, any big cities, yeah. I would hope it would be that way. Yeah, but yeah, as that generation starts to move up, you know, maybe that perception is not, you know, not going to be an issue at all. Well, and like you said, it's becoming more mainstream in the sense, like, I think I remember the first big, um, you know, on TV, the first big show that really made a main character gay was Will and Grace. See, I remember Soap. Oh, so I don't remember that at all. You're a little younger than me. Grandpa Larry. Yeah, Grandpa Larry. (laughs) Grandpa remembers Soap. Um, (laughs) But it had Billy Crystal in it. Oh, And he played the gay son. But no, but a really mainstream character who was the lead of the show, that's Will and Grace. Yeah. So, well, and, and in, I think, 2000 or the late 90s, AIA added diversity, um, mm-hmm. uh, added sexual orientation to their diversity policy and their ethics. And there's a whole, on the National AIA website, there's an entire section devoted to their diversity, you know, I don't say program, but, you know, I guess for lack of a better word, their diversity program. Yeah. And, you know, of course, it includes everybody. But there's, a, you know, some things specifically to the side about, I think, gay and lesbian, you know, something or the other. I, I can't remember. And <laughs> I've looked at way too many websites. <laughs> I guess so. So, you know, that's maybe as an industry, you know, they were starting to recognize that, you know, there's still a little bit of homophobia and a little bit of... Well, and when I went back to A&M in 95, my first studio... The guy who sat at the desk across from me asked me, he said, well, so what would you do for spring break? And I just very flippantly said, well, I took my boyfriend home to meet my family. And there was just this pause. <laughs> and he was like... Did the air leave the room? Uh, sadly, he was like, <laughs> okay, really? Okay, it just it seemed absolutely flabbergasted. But I, even at school, even at A&M in the, in the architecture program, I, there was no, you know, I was out. You know, uh-huh. everybody knew. And as far as I know, in the architecture program, I was the only one. Again, it which becomes you that, which I, I wasn't. But, no. you know, it, that, it felt that way. Right. So, well, it's like, you know, like we were talking now, I know I'm not the only gay architect in Dallas. No. But, uh-huh. but you know, but, but then again, maybe it's, it's that the design firms here 
don't think about, like we said, we're the only one in the, in the gay and lesbian chamber. Maybe mm-hmm. they don't think it's, yes, they have gay and lesbian you know, people on staff, and yes, they have, you know, sexual orientation in their employment policies and all that sort of stuff, and maybe just, they just don't think it's important, you know. Well, I wonder if they don't, if they don't see it as a positive business move. They don't see it as an asset. Yeah, exactly, to officially, you know, join a chamber that is focused on doing business between, you know, gay-owned businesses. Yeah. Well, and the broad question, are they, you know, part of the, you know, Dallas Chamber of Commerce, so they part of, you know, any of the other city, you know, right. chambers, or is it that they just don't think belonging to any chambers important, regardless? Well, and I was, I was thinking about it the other day that it may just be that they're members of AIA, and AIA is so stinking expensive well, <laughs> that they don't want to spend money on any other organization. Right, right but... That's entirely possible. I mean, yeah. you you because you're paying not just for your membership or you know your um, dues for you, it's the firm's paying dues for everybody. You know, it's yeah. it, what, if if you have employees, every employee who is on your payroll, you end up paying the AIA money for something something for, for, each, for person. each person. Yeah, regardless of whether or not they're in the AIA. Yeah, I so, think that's which seems really weird, but. But, yeah, so maybe there's that expense that they just don't want to go through, but I, I don't know. Or it could just be like we've said before that architects don't think beyond, you know, their professional organization. And, you know, that's kind of what the norm has been. You know, yeah. it's what you did. You joined the AIA, and you put those letters behind your name, and you're good to go. Right. There wasn't ever any discussion about belonging to other things. So, which is probably why we're one of the few architects in the Women's Business Council, too. Interesting. So it could just be... It could just be our profession. It could be more of our profession, yeah. Right. I don't know. I would like to hear some response from any architects that listen. Yeah, I'd like to hear what people are saying. And, and, you know, if you belong to a gay and lesbian organization and, you know, look in it and think, okay, how many architects are part of my group? Mm Mm-hmm. And see if they are, or if you are actually a member of a gay and lesbian architecture architecture organization, you know, let us know because I'd be very interested in finding out. You know, yeah. how'd you come together? What do you do as a group? Is it just you know kind of getting together and talking about what's going on in the industry? If you're having any problems in your you know, with your firm as far as discrimination, all that sort of stuff, and you know, what do you do for the community as a group, mm-hmm. or do you do anything for the community as a group? Yeah. Well, it's not something we can put a, a a bow on and call it done, but yeah, it's an interesting topic. Yeah, I know. We we were thinking, okay, well, okay, here's point, 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 and like, well, and then conclusion and, and wrap then, it up, and right? And, and we're done. <laughs> yes, point, 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 conclusion. Bye. We're done. Right. And it's just not working out that way. But that's okay. But that's okay. So that's that's today's podcast, I guess. And I don't know that we really answered any questions or talked around to talk too much. I I don't know. I mean, it's, we're just going to ruffle a bunch of feathers and get everybody all riled up. And yeah, and I'm going to try to try to write a more sensible, logical blog post uh, on the topic. Hopefully, maybe just post some questions and see what kind of response we get. Because, like I said, I know I'm not the only one in Dallas, and it'd be interesting to to just get together with some of the other gay architects or lesbian architects and. You know, talk about their experiences and our experiences, and you can find it on our blog post. It's Dallas Architect. It is www.thearchitecturehappyhour.com. 
and and sometimes the blog topics are actually a sort of truncated version of each podcast. So if there's more information you're looking for. Depending on if I get my act together and actually post. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. A little busy. Don't hold your breath. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. I'm going to recruit Larry to help me. On yeah. That. She's, she's going to wrangle me into doing that as well. Yeah. I guess really that's all for today. Let us know what you think. Let us, you know, give us some feedback. We're very interested in hearing it. Well, that's it for now then. And if you're in Dallas and you need uh, another happy hour to go to, you can always go to the Architecture Happy Hour Happy Hour. And we hold that the third Wednesday of every month. We're not sure where the next one's going to be, but if you go to meetup.com and look for the Architecture Happy Hour, you can join our group. And you'll get an email blast telling you about where the next event's going to be. Well, and you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. And uh, we are on LinkedIn as well. You can find Larry and Holly and I and our company. The Facebook and Twitter IDs are HPD Architecture. We just wanted to share that Larry and I both will be going to San Antonio to the Texas Society of Architects Convention in mid-October. And I will be speaking. I'm actually going to be on a panel talking about the purpose of social media for architects. So if you happen to be going to the TSA convention, put me on your schedule, and I'd love to talk to you. Yeah, and you'll be on the panel with Bob Borson, who Bob does Borson. Life of an Architect blog. Uh-huh. And Marcella. Marcella Rhodes. She's an accessibility specialist, and she will also be talking about LinkedIn. And then Jamie Crowley, who's an architect down in Pflugerville, which is outside of Austin, and probably the most fun town to say. Sure. <laughs> has way too many letters for as many sounds as it has, but Pflugerville. He's going to be on there talking about uh, networking, and um, he's going to be the moderator of the panel, too. So it's a good group. It'll be interesting. But for now, we're done, and I'm going to go off and enjoy whatever's going on down in the neighborhood for Pride <laughs> and go to the parade tomorrow. So if, if you're watching the news in Dallas, hopefully you're not going to see, you know, any anything too unruly going on. But for now, I'm Larry. And I'm Laura. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bye.